Marlene Sharp is all things entertainment. She's a creative, executive producer and writer at Pink Poodle Productions and an entertainment consultant who specializes in animation and family content. Dog approved by the company mascot and star of the award-winning short film, Blanche's Bichon Buzz. She worked on the Teen Choice Award-nominated cartoon Sonic Boom and was an official San Diego Comic-Con 2017 panelist. She has written merchandise-driven cartoons such as Snack World and The Girl Who Loved Noses. Sharp has written for Dog TV and Toon Barn. Her list of awards includes the San Luis Obispo Film Festival, and she was the winner of the 2019 LA Shorts International Film Fest script competition, which is an Oscar and BAFTA qualifying fest. Please welcome the very gifted Marlene Sharp. Wow, that that is the best introduction oh. I've ever I've ever had. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. It was hard shaving down all your accolades. <laughs> oh well, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of fluff to shave. Did you always know that you were going to be a creative? Well, sort of. Yes. My original dream was to be an actress, to be an Oscar-winning actress, actually, not just any actress. I did go down that road and still tell folks that I'm offer only now. So I don't really have the time or the wherewithal to run around to auditions at the moment. But if someone wants to book me, I will happily do that job. And I blanch my, my, the poodle of pink poodle Productions. She's actually a Bichon poodle mix. She often will accompany me on my acting adventures and even non-acting adventures. So she's my business partner <laughs> in every sense. <laughs> when you, when did you move to Los Angeles and how was that transition transition like from New Orleans? I, I actually moved to California or Southern California for graduate school. I finished my undergrad at Loyola, New Orleans. And then I was accepted into the MFA musical theater program at San Diego State University. I went to school there. And then when I finished grad school, I, I was able to get a full-time job at a talent agency in Orange County, which is about an hour's drive north of San Diego. It's, it's midway between Los Angeles and, and San Diego. Yes, Blanche, that's, that's true. I went to work at the the agency and the agency was great or it seemed like a great setup at the time in that I worked as an agent assistant and they also yeah. let me go out on auditions and I could pseudo represent myself <laughs> through the agency. So I did that. And then I had a little bit of a detour after a year at the agency, I was having a bit of a, an existential crisis. I went back to new Orleans for about a year and a half, and then got my act together, literally and figuratively, and then moved to Los Angeles. And I've been here for a lot of years, a lot of years <laughs> since then. You've got your fingers on so many creative projects, such as podcasts, film shorts, animation. 
So what's your favorite thing to do and what is your creative superpower? Let's see. At the moment, my favorite thing is podcasts. I love po I love to listen to them and I'm still in the honeymoon period of podcasts. I feel like I only just really discovered them maybe three years ago, like around the beginning of 2019. I have an OCD kind of a personality, so I quickly became obsessed with them and I haven't let go since. I'm fortunate in the sense that I'm able to work on podcasts through Rainshine Entertainment, which is my employer at the moment. Rainshine is my employer and then I have Pink Poodle Productions as as my company for everything that's that's not range <laughs> and anyway i just love podcasts i don't have my own like you do that that's that's something that i aspire to so i look up to you as a role model something that <laughs> hopefully one day i can have my own but for the moment i just invade other people's podcasts and then work behind the scenes on developing others for range shine and let's see creative superpower that's another thing you asked Yes. I don't know if I have a superpower, maybe empathy. Maybe that's because I try to be nice to everyone and try to uh, put myself in other folks' positions, you know, live by the golden rule and all of that. I don't know if that's a super, maybe it is because if you listen to enough podcasts, you start to think that narcissism is the default human condition and meaning like enough true crime podcasts anyway. Mm -hmm. And so empathy might, might be the outlier. Maybe that is my superpower. I don't know, but that's not a answer. bad one to have. <laughs> <laughs> did you always write scripts or did you start out in writing in other formats? I, I went into writing kicking and screaming. I did it for school and it seemed, especially in my MFA program, you know, I thought I was signing up for a conservatory where I'd be singing and dancing all the time. And then sure enough, there was a lot of writing involved. We had to write material for ourselves. And then there was, there was quite a, a considerable academic component of just studying different periods in history. We had a costume movement and manners class and we had to research periods in history and so this, that, and the other. I wrote papers and stuff, but I, I didn't really want to I didn't really want to do anything except for perform. That's it. That was my ambition. And then I thought, oh, for a plan B, if that doesn't work out, I'll just be a theater academic and I'll have a comfortable university life and have my students and coach them and it'll be wonderful. I quick sobered up the last semester of graduate school because I could not even get an interview to teach anywhere because in California, especially you're competing with people who quite frankly, don't need the degrees, they have Oscars or Emmys, or they're starring on Broadway, or they come from a famous family. And those people are far, far higher on the food chain than I was. So I couldn't break into academia. The only thing I could do was try to fit into show business in some other way. And eventually, after some stopping and starting, I did come into what I'm doing now as an assistant through temping. So I had a period of 
unemployment early on after the talent agency, after I had moved back to Los Angeles. And I signed up with a temp agency. That's how I landed in kids and family entertainment and stuck there. And then tried tried a bunch of different things. I was interested in writing. I was interested in writing in the sense that I wanted to write material that I could star in. So I really wanted the career of Tina Fey and and still would love mm. to have it. If she is giving it away, I will accept it. I had written a little bit besides school. I had written a, a short play and some other things here and there. But really that was not ever the be all end all of my career. So yeah, I guess you could kind of call it an accident. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about the video game market because a lot of creative production and coding goes into it. And yes, even script writing. Can you even measure what the audience is and why do you think it's so popular? Well, the audience that I've seen that, that I've experienced mostly is dudes, dudes, all ages, like from little kids up to and through middle age and beyond. I hear that there are women gamers and I, I'm a member of women in animation. I've been active in women in games in the past, but I just don't see it as much because that's not the area that I've never worked on anything really for women, unless it's my own pet projects. Like, and for Blanche, Blanche's Bichon Buzz, for example, is very girly. <laughs> it's all, it's all female cast and crew with the exception of my dad and my brother who have cameos. But I, but I just recently participated in a study for girls in gaming. There is a wonderful woman in Illinois who's studying as part of an academic research project is studying there there was a movement in the 90s for girls in gaming she's studying it as a, a phenomenon so there are girl gamers but that just hasn't been my experience I've mostly worked in boys action so that's what I see so Sonic the Hedgehog what has that project meant to your you personally, and your career? Well, I suppose I should be very thankful. Thank you, Sonic, because if it wasn't for Sonic, nobody would want me on their podcast. I feel that's for certain. <laughs> <laughs> I never had any invitations to be on a podcast until I started at least talking about the experience working on Sonic. And then Sonic's big, huge moment in the sun actually has happened since I left Sega, but I feel like the two and a half years that I was there were critical to lead up to this success. I'm not going to lie though. It was not my girlhood dream to work on boys action properties and become known for cartoon characters that are, <laughs> that I don't find relatable to me, to my personal life. But if that's what the universe is telling me, that's how I'm going to make my mark on the world. I better embrace it because that might be my only shot. There are worse things to be associated with. So what do you find most challenging about bringing a script to life and that process? I find the collaborative aspect of it. When you're writing on assignment, especially if you're writing with for a big brand, 
like Sonic or other brands that I've worked with have been Pink Panther, Postman Pat, Yokai Watch, a variety of others. It's the collaboration because most of the writing that I've ever done, I've not been credited for. It's usually because there are other people, higher profile writers who have been hired at some point, maybe preceding me. And I come in as a development executive and also as an advocate for the brand and have to bridge that gap between what the brand needs and wants and what the artiste, the auteur who was originally hired for the project wanted. And then Mm -hmm. often the higher the stakes are with, with the project, the more of a Hunger Games-like atmosphere ensues behind the scenes. So probably the worst and most cutthroat experience I ever had was working on a movie for and with Paul McCartney. Because when Paul McCartney shows up at your office, all logic goes out the window. Like people cannot see beyond the Beatles. And people will do just about anything to say that they're working with Paul McCartney. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that particular experience was a disaster. And it was so unpleasant. I wasn't the screenwriter. I was the director of development at the company at that time. I didn't get the respect or authority that a high-priced screenwriter or a producer or what have you would get, but I was trying to be the steward to play, make everybody play nice and to serve the needs of what the distributor would want, what our, the company that I worked for that was financing would want, what Paul McCartney's company would want. And then, then there were a lot of cooks in that kitchen and it just got crazy. So collaboration can be beautiful and terrible at the same time. Wow. That is kind of challenging. How much does it play into that you're female or does it? Well, that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure because up until, up until 2017, when Me Too happened, I always thought it was a Marlene problem. Like I always, anything that would happen, I would just be like, I am defective. Like I'm just not cut out for this. I'm not, you know, and So then when Me Too happened and all these people came forward and I haven't quite had the same experience, like no one's ever assaulted me, but I have had other unpleasant experiences here and there. Then it made me reevaluate things that had happened in my career. And I thought, oh, well, I guess it's possible that those weren't a Marlene problem. Maybe it was because I was a female. I am a female and I'm Marlene, but Actually, for me, it was weirdly comforting, the whole Me Too movement, because I had a lot of shame and guilt for things that I felt were failures on my part. And then I reframed them and not necessarily in an official way, like with a therapist or anything, but just in my mind, I thought, well, maybe I could cut myself a break and maybe it wasn't all my fault you know, all the things that have happened. Yeah, because when you're being dismissed and all of those experiences that 
come with that package. You do feel like you're alone, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I spent several years as the LA office of a Korean animation studio. I was the the office. Everybody it, everybody else was in Seoul. It was a lot of time of me in my studio apartment and the Korean Korea is a very patriarchal Mm-hmm. culture and it, more so than the United States we here in the US we complain about, <laughs> about we complain about problems here here there and everywhere but we really maybe need to count our blessings a little bit more cuz I've worked with a lot of overseas studios and it seems to be quite difficult in other cultures even more so especially for women i really felt when i was working for the korean company a lot of times that i was going crazy because i was all by myself except for the folks in korea and then things would happen i didn't have anybody really to bounce ideas off of or to talk me down off the ledge we did work with some people in la like post production studios we had a lawyer and writers and actors and things like that but it wasn't like anybody that I saw on a day-to-day basis but yeah a lot of times i just felt like i was on another planet or like some kind of bubble and not a protective bubble <laughs> and not to disrespect korean culture but it was just the nature it was a combination of factors and and having to navigate that in a way i, I was happy at the time that i was able to work from home because I was acting a lot and I was able to go off to auditions with minimal interruption from my job but there were, it was a mixed blessing because there were you know not no situation is perfect so that brings me to ask you what are some of the things that you do to keep moving forward and what also do you have to keep doing to improve your game I don't know. I wish I had the secret sauce. I wish I could like <laughs> give the audience some like witty quip about like here, but I, <laughs> and on some podcasts I do, I will say like, oh, I do believe this to just try to be nice to people and empathy. The more you can practice empathy, that seems to be a good rule to live by just because it helps make the world a more civilized place, I think. I do not have the secret sauce. I feel like if I did, I would be doing a lot better for myself right now. I am not living in a, a mansion. I'm not financially independent. I have had successes and I've managed to survive. So that's good, but I'm not Tina Fey. So I would like to ask her what she's <laughs> Yeah, be nice to everybody. And then also keep an open mind because opportunities that present themselves might look unattractive at first but maybe there's a way that they can be massaged i was watching dr death the a peacock series based on the hit podcast dr death last night i'm only just now getting around to streaming it it's very good i highly recommend it and there was a great quote it said if life gives you lemonade don't make lemons. <laughs> so it was the reverse of <laughs> if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. 
it was the friend of the doc, the crazy doctor who told him that he was getting all these wonderful awards and accolades and everything and with minimal effort on his part he did a lot of stuff wrong hence the name dr death he was i don't know belly aching about something to his friend who is his office manager and he's like life has given you lemonade don't make lemons <laughs> and he's like just accept the lemonade so i guess that the, take lemons and make lemonade and then take the lemonade. I guess that's also a statement about greed too. When you have something. Yeah, don't drink it all at once too, right? And don't overreach. <laughs> Try to act with moderation and so forth. Don't greedy and don't drink too much. <laughs> don't, if life gives you Kool-Aid, don't drink too much of it. One of my friends once said that you meet the same people on the way up as you do on the way down. Yeah, it's true. But I'm always floored by, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm a maniac on LinkedIn because I love it. I, I have got, so that there, there's a suggestion, become more active on LinkedIn. That's how I got my job at Sega was directly from a recruiter finding me on LinkedIn. Didn't have to apply for it through a diabolical portal in the internet a recruiter found me and then a hundred interviews later i had the job but anyway on linkedin people contact me every day all day wanting to sell me their services in some like whether it's post-production animation or whatever script writing whatever financial services you name it they want somebody wants to sell it to me and then there's that group of salespeople. Then there are the people who want to pitch projects to me. They'll want to pitch, I don't know, romantic comedies or whatever, which are wonderful entertainment, but I've never done anything like that. So I don't know why they would yeah. think that I'd be the authority. I'd be the right person, but you know, I get all these. And so someone will link with me and immediately ask me for favors. It's like, don't you think that people who've at least schmoozed me a little bit would be ahead of you in line for those favors? Like, can't you even pretend? Can't you trust me first? <laughs> yeah. it's like, can't you just pretend that you have something to offer me? Because most of the time, it's not, uh, the overtures that I get is not, they're not, hey, I want to pay you $100,000 to produce this movie it's like no you will raise the money for your own salary <laughs> you will yep. do this you will do this and these folks are almost 100 percent new to the business so it's like why would i do this and then sometimes people get really snippy when i tell them no and i try to give in a respectful way <laughs> but yeah i had one guy unlinked with me recently because <laughs> i'd been linked with him for a while but he had asked me for a favor straight away and i said no oh well i did i actually did try to help them and then i was like this is all i could do you know this is the answer so sorry it's not what you want to hear and then he he approached me again for the same thing and i was like my answer is still the same. Then he unlinked with me. So I, after a few harsh words, so don't do that. Right? Don't do that. To be, if, if somebody, if you want to work with somebody, think of more of the schmoozing approach. Like you can catch more uh, flies with honey than with vinegar. That's a good, a good thing to live by. Streaming platforms have seemed to level the playing field quite a bit in the film business. And while there 
are way more options than just Hollywood. You still need to work hard and kind of know the right people to break in. It's a great, when you mentioned the fellow from LinkedIn, how committed do you really have to be to break into this kind of a business? And for maybe the fellow from LinkedIn should listen because it isn't just send a direct message to somebody and try and flog your wares or beg yeah. for a job. <laughs> yeah. I think it helps to be committed in the sense that you want to follow this. You want to at least give the appearance of paying your dues maybe you did wake up one day and think that you had the greatest idea ever or want to change show business or that you're this undiscovered actor whose time has come, but you might think that, but so do a lot of other people. And occasionally there are the occasional people who will have a viral video on YouTube and it'll seem like they're an overnight sensation or somebody who will have their first book publisher they'll have some fan fiction that they posted online and it'll become 50 shades of gray or something like that but those are more the exceptions than the rules it's not like hollywood is populated with people who've just come up with something and then all of a sudden gotten a, a huge payout it it's mostly people who have worked very hard at least the people that I observed, people who work very hard and try a long time and often don't get the, the payoff that they wanted and they just keep working at it, keep working at it no matter what the obstacles are and they just keep trying different techniques. I think for some reason, a lot of people seem to have a sense of entitlement that comes from I don't know where. I think Partially, it's people will read or hear about a success story, maybe the one that they find is aligned with their experience, like maybe somebody from their hometown or somebody in their age range or type or whatever, and they'll apply that to themselves. And without having all the information, they'll say, well, so-and-so did. Well, Tina Fey did it. Why not me? The person is not taking into consideration all the factors that went into that case study that they're comparing themselves with, they just come out at the other side with this huge sense of entitlement and then go about it kind of like a chicken with its head cut off. And look, that could work for some people. I'm sure that there are examples of people who just fell off the turnip truck and pennies rained down from heaven. But I don't think that is the process for a lot of success for most successful people. So maybe you could try that. And if it doesn't work, then go back and go to school. A lot of people feel though people want often want me to conduct their own private film school on LinkedIn. They'll ask me like a million questions about can you introduce me to so-and-so at Netflix? Well, okay, <laughs> if I get this meeting at Netflix, well, what do I do? Will you write the script for me or will you help me write the script? Blah, blah, blah. This wow. is a conversation I actually had with somebody and it's partially my fault for entertaining this person's continued <laughs> line of questions. But at first I felt sorry for her and then it was like, this is ridiculous. But instead of doing that, just look at some YouTube videos about pitching or it need not cost money. You can find lots of 
free resources. You can find a tutorial on just about anything on YouTube. And poking around the internet, you can find and connect with just about anybody. It might not be easy, but it's doable. A 17-year-old girl has interviewed me twice for her podcast. And the celebrities that she's had on her show, the amount and the names are staggering. And this girl is just, she has chutzpah. She has gotten 100% of her guests from either tweeting at them, messaging them on Instagram, just like talking to people at her school and like six degrees of separation. She does not come from a showbiz family. Her mom pretty much doesn't know what she's doing in her bedroom most of the time. <laughs> and, um, and I'm amazed at what she has accomplished. In fact, she managed to interview, there's a, a TikToker who sadly committed suicide a couple mm. weeks ago and is a big, huge news story. He was a very successful TikToker. She had the last on-camera interview oh, wow. with him before he died, the, the, the night before he died. And so she had posted it. She's very quick with her production and all. She posted it on YouTube and on the podcast platforms. The next day, she was being contacted by CNN and TMZ. It was crazy. She ended up getting all these followers on Instagram and all of her social channels just because she had interviewed this, this boy. It's a sad and tragic situation, but that's an example of she was prepared and she knows pop culture very well. She and this TikToker, he was famous before he committed suicide, but that's not really something that anybody could have figured into their plan. She had this gem of an opportunity because she was such a good journalist and curious. And she she's worked on her channel since she was 15. So for two years of her life, she's really put in the time and research and whatever. There's no reason why anybody can't do that. If you don't need to ask people, and I mean, you can ask people for favors and then they can evaluate whether or not they want to help you. But she just made me chuckle. But also I admire her very much for the way she would just just boldly message anyone. And she says she was not deterred at all by some of the snarky comments that she got back. Oh yeah. Sometimes people say like, you're crazy or why would I want to be on your show? Like you're nobody, blah, blah, blah. Or they'll ignore you. Yeah. Or they just ignore her, <laughs> but she is undeterred. It's just like, okay, move on to the next one. Or yeah. she'll, she'll return at, back to them. But and ask them another time and she'll keep at it, but in a different way. She doesn't get discouraged, or I'm sure she does get discouraged, but she doesn't yeah. let that stop her from, from doing her show. I think just being tenacious like that. And also she's offering somebody a wonderful opportunity. Like maybe not every person who she approaches will want to be on the podcast, but there are quite a few people in the world who pay publicists a lot of yeah. money per month to get those kinds of opportunities. One person's trash is another person's treasure type of thing. She's out there finding the people who will value what she has to offer. It's not as if she's approaching these people like, hey, can you help me get a job on your TV show? She's, she's offering them something and she's building relationships rather than just looking for a, a way to better her own situation. 
And that is the key, building relationships, regardless of what you're doing. You need to build Hollywood and the film business. It's all about relationship building because you don't just, like you say, you don't walk right in and just all of a sudden you're Brad Pitt on the set. <laughs> some, I'm sure it's worked for some people. Like <laughs> the very young and very good looking. I remember working at an agency and thinking like, ah, that never happens. And Didn't it happen to Brad Pitt. <laughs> it, but it might happen, but it's not the norm. It's, that's the unusual story. And then also like, what people put out there in the press, like what you read about people is not necessarily 100% the truth. Even those stories that you hear that are lightning in a bottle, that could be mm. based on a lie, a con. <laughs> there are a lot of con artists in this world, you know, some kind of massaging of the truth or, or yeah, a combination of different things. Those are all things to take into consideration when you're doing anything. It doesn't really even matter if it's show business that you're pursuing. There's mm -hmm. all kinds of, you need to get along in the world. So it helps to have a spirit of empathy and giving. Then I think people are more likely to respond to you and act accordingly rather than just like asking for stuff all the time. Yeah, it takes about 10 years or more even to build an overnight success. <laughs> I think so. And there are a lot of people too who, when an overnight success, you might not know upfront that they come from a show business family or they lived in a neighborhood. They had some kind of connection to somebody that led them down this path. So you might not have all the facts if you're comparing yourself to other people. So often, it might be the work of generations prior that, that led to this overnight success. It, it's good to try to follow your own path and build other people up and then also try to increase your own knowledge and experience so that you have something to offer when you do get an opportunity. So what is next for Marlene and Pink Poodle? Well, right now I'm working on a film project called Young Captain Nemo with Rainshine Entertainment, my employer. And it's an animated movie trilogy based on uh, books. The title of the books are, it's Young Captain Nemo and is the franchise. So Rainshine optioned the books and we're turning them into three animated films. And we're doing some kind of different things with the the building a community and fandom and it there's a certain amount of the budget that has been carved out for how do they call it? they call it the community round so like when you're raising funds for a com company like if you're silicon valley or wall street you, you there's round a round b and then what we're doing is a community round from all over to invest and you can invest in a small way or a big way and then you're a stakeholder and a profit participant in the movie which crowdfunding is not anything new but we're combining that with nfts and the metaverse and so forth i'm not 100 percent well versed on the ins and outs of the business model but there are some pioneering things that we're trying to do with the business plan 
But ultimately, when, what you see on screen will hopefully just be an entertaining family film that is partially based on the Jules Verne source material, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but taken into present day with descendants of the original Captain Nemo. So that's cool. taking up a lot of my time these days. That's very cool. Well, Marlene, I'm so grateful you decided to come on this broadcast. It was so great to hear all these stories. And hopefully people have realized how it doesn't matter whether you're going into film or what business. You need to do stuff to keep yourself going. But also it is not an easy process. You have to work at it. It's hard to be a human being. It, it takes work. It takes maintenance. <laughs> no matter if it's show business or anything else, it, unless you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, there's going to be some work involved. <laughs> true that. True that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Debbie. It's been a pleasure.